That brings us to Malachi, the last prophet. Malachi ministered Judah during 432 to 431 BC, during the time of the second returnees to Judah from exile under the leadership of Ezra. The main idea of the book of Malachi is this confrontation of Judah's corruption and encouragement for them to pursue holiness. So he's confronting their corruption, even though they just came back from exile, he's encouraging them to pursue holiness. The book of Malachi is divided into six disputations, like court cases, that Yahweh has against his people. Each of these disputations includes an affirmation by Yahweh or the prophet. The people then respond, and then a conclusion. So Yahweh lodges a complaint against them. The people respond to that, and then Yahweh responds to that. So the first one is verses 1 through 5. What follows is divine revelation. The word of Yahweh came to Israel through Malachi. I have shown love to you, says Yahweh. So I have shown you love constantly over and over and over again, Israel. This is my claim. And Israel responds, how have you shown love to us? We don't see it. Because remember, they went into exile. So they're like, that's not proof of your love. And then God responds, Esau was Jacob's brother. Yahweh explains, yet I chose Jacob and rejected Esau. Now your Bibles say, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. Now that sounds like God emotionally loves Jacob and hates Esau. But God loves everyone. And so you're like, what? That doesn't make sense. But this is covenantal language. This is covenantal language. And it wasn't uncommon in covenants to say, I love this and I hate this. Not in an emotional sense, but in an acceptance and a rejection kind of a sense. And this is why maybe some translations say, to choose and to reject. I turned Esau's mountains into a desert wasteland and gave his territory to the wild jackals. Edom says that we are devastated. We will once again build ruined places. So Yahweh who rules over all responds, They indeed may build, but I will overthrow. They will be known as the land of evil, the people with whom Yahweh is permanently displeased. The eyes will see, and then you will have say, May Yahweh be magnified even beyond the border of Israel. So the first thing he says is, You don't know how I loved you? Let's go to the very beginning where I chose you. Both Esau and Jacob were descendants of Abraham, and I could have chose either one. And both of them were ding-dong idiots. Neither one of them were following me or valued the promises of God in any kind of a way. Yet I chose Jacob without merit. I never gave you a reason for why I chose him. And then I loved him. And even though Jacob never came to me until the very end of his life, I loved him and I blessed him and I did it for you and you, 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 you. You keep turning away from me and I keep loving you. And I devastated Edom and I devastated you. But Edom will never rebuild, but I am rebuilding you. Now do you doubt my love? So now comes the second statement, verses 6 through 14. A son naturally honors his father and a slave respects his master. If I am your father, where is my honor? So his complaint is, even pagan people respect their fathers and their masters. Yet, you are not pagan. We have a covenant, intimate relationship with each other where I love you and I've blessed you. I don't abuse you. And in the ancient world, fathers weren't very, they weren't the fathers that you see like today. They're encouraged, like loving, compassion, hung out with kids and that kind of stuff. So why can't you do that for me when I'm loving If I am your master, where is my respect? Yahweh who rules over all asks you this, you priests who make light of my name. But you reply, how have we made light of your name? Like, we don't know where we have disrespected you. 
Well, maybe it was right back when you said, how have you loved us? <laughs> That's kind of disrespectful. Verse 7, so here's God's response. You are offering improper sacrifices on my altar. Yet you ask, how have we offended you? By treating the table of Yahweh as if it was no importance. For when you offer blind animals as a sacrifice, is that not wrong? And when you offer lame and sick, is that not wrong as well? Indeed, try offering them to your governor. Will he be pleased with you or show you favor? Asked Yahweh who rules over all. You bring me the nastiest, nappy, disease, flawed animals you can find in your thing. And you lay them at my table and say, enjoy Yahweh. But if you were invited to a banquet with your governor and you brought that to the meal, would he be okay with that? Would you go to your neighbor's invited to Christmas and throw this diseased dog on their table and say, I brought an appetizer? Like, what the heck? How do you think that this is okay? But now plead for God's favor that he might be gracious to us with this kind of offering in your hands. How can he be pleased with you? Ask Yahweh who rules over. Now this is powerful too. You brought the nastiest, diseased animals and threw them on my dinner table, so to speak, and said, I have brought you a great banquet. Enjoy. I love you, so to speak. And that is so offensive and wrong. And yet God says, but yet I'm still willing to show you grace. If you did that like with your family members at Christmas, they'd probably stop talking to you for a very long time. But God says, but I am still willing to show you grace. I wish that one of you would close the temple doors so you no longer would light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says Yahweh, who rules over all, and I will no longer accept an offering for you. I wish that somebody would close the doors so you wouldn't come in and keep defiling my house. Kind of like, I wish I could just kick you out of my house after you did that to me, so I wouldn't have to deal with this insult. Far for from the east to the west, my name will be great among the nations. Incense and pure offerings will be offered in my name everywhere. For my name will be great among the nations, says Yahweh who rules over all. But you are profaning it by saying that the table of Yahweh is common and its offering is, despicable. This offering is despicable. You're treating my table like it's just an ordinary table. You also say, how tiresome is it? You turn up your nose at it, says Yahweh, who rules over all. And indeed, instead, bring what is stolen and lame and sick, and you bring these things for an offering. Should I accept this from you, asks Yahweh? You insult me too by saying, this is so tiresome. We just do these sacrifices all the time. It's like Christmas, and your kids are like, oh, this is so boring. We do this family tradition all the time. Can we do something different? There will be harsh condemnation for you hypocrite who has a valuable male animal in his flock but vows and sacrifices something inferior to Yahweh. For I am a great king, says Yahweh, who rules over all, and my name is awesome among the nations. In that section, verses 6 through 14, he denounces the corrupt sacrifices. So he goes on, and now he gives them an ultimatum. In verse 1 of chapter 2, Now you priests... This commandment is for you. If you do not listen and take seriously the need to honor my name, says Yahweh, who rules over all, I will send judgment on you and turn your blessings into curses. Indeed, I have already done so because you are not taking it to heart. I am about to discipline your children and will spread a fallen on your faces or dung on your faces. 
and they will fall produce at your festivals, and you will be carried away along with it. Then you will know that I sent this commandment to you, that my covenant may continue to be with Levi, says Yahweh, who rules over all. My covenant will be with him, has been designed to bring life and peace. I gave its statutes to him to fill him with awe, and indeed revered me and stood in awe before me. He taught that what was true, sinful words were not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and integrity, and he turned many people away from sin. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge of the sacred things, and people should seek instructions from him, because he is the messenger of Yahweh who rules over all. You, however, have turned away from the way. You have caused many to violate the law, and you have corrupted the covenant with Levi, says Yahweh who rules over all. Therefore I have caused you to be ignored and belittled before all the people to extent to which you are not following after me and are showing partiality in your instruction. You're not like the Levites long ago. Long ago, I made everybody a priest in Israel during the time of Moses. But all the nation rebelled against me and worshipped the golden calf. And they lost the right to be my priests. Every member, every firstborn of every single family of every single tribe was supposed to be priests. But they lost the right when they abandoned me in the golden calf. But Levi, Levi stood next to me. Levi stood next to me, and Levi did the difficult thing of slaughtering everybody who refused to repent, even if it was their own brother or sister. And, And therefore, I made a covenant with them. I allowed them to maintain their priesthood that everybody else lost. And not only that, not only would the firstborn of all their sons be priests, like it was true of every tribe, but because I lost so many priests in all the other tribes, I decided to make every Levite a priest, not just the firstborn. And Levi faithfully served me. When they temple prostituted themselves out to the Midianites and brought the women into the tabernacle and had sex right there and there, Phinehas the Levite did the difficult thing of killing them and keeping the temple holy. The Levites stayed faithful to me. But now you, you've made a mockery of your ancestors. You're not like them. You've devastated and you've belittled me and you've offered improper sight. Not only are you not maintaining the holiness of the tabernacle and the difficult job of killing people who violate it, but now you are yourself bringing horrible, nasty sacrifices to me and making it defiled. You're not like the originals. In chapter 2, verse 10, he lodges another complaint. Do we not all have one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we betray one another in this way, making light of the covenant of our ancestors? Jews become disloyal and unspeakable sins have been committed in Israel and Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the holy things of Yahweh, loves, and has turned to a foreign god. May Yahweh cut off from the community of Jacob every last person who does this, as well as a person who presents improper offerings to Yahweh, who rules over all. Now we don't know if they've literally turned to idolatry, Or they've turned to a different God of, I'm going to serve the God of my own pleasure and desire by not um, serving Yahweh. You also do this. You cover the altar of Yahweh with tears as you weep and groan because he no longer pays attention to you, offering nor accepts it favorably from you. Yet you ask why Yahweh is testifying against you on the behalf of your wife married when you were young, to whom you have become unfaithful when though she is companion of wife by law. So they're like, how have we testified against you? Okay, we don't know how we've wronged you, and we don't know how we've testified against you. And Yahweh says, now remember back in Ezra, when Ezra required them all to divorce, those foreign women that they married, 
And we found out that Malachi now tells us here that they had married some of these foreign women after divorcing their Jewish wives. So what he's saying is, how have you testified against me? I'm a God of covenant promises. And you violated your covenant with your Jewish wife and divorced her and then went off and married foreigners, making, testifying that I'm an unfaithful God. If this is how the people act, then isn't that how the God acts? This is how you've testified against me. You become unfaithful even though she was your companion and wife by law, covenant. Verse 15, no one is even, no one who has even a small portion of the Spirit in him does this. What did our ancestors do when seeking a child from God? Be attentive then to your own spirit, for one should not be disloyal to the wife he took in his youth. I hate divorce, says Yahweh, the God of Israel. And the one who is guilty of violence, says Yahweh, who rules over all, pay attention to your conscience and do not be unfaithful. Now, I think it's interesting, he says, no one who has just a little bit of the spirit actually does this kind of a thing. So then he goes on. You have wearied Yahweh, verse 17, with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? Because you say, everyone who does evil is good in Yahweh's opinion. And he who delights in them, or where is God the justice? So the other complaint is that he's saying that you have wearied me. Well, how have we wearied you, God? Like, how are we annoying you? Because you constantly accuse me of being unjust. Now, some are saying Yahweh approved of evildoers. There's, what they're saying is they're calling what is evil good. And if you say that, oh, this is actually not evil, this is actually okay to do, then you're saying that God is okay with it, and that's your testimony to others. Others are saying that Yahweh did not care about them because evil is allowed to happen. Either way, they're offending the character of God. Those are the two complaints. So Yahweh says, I'm about to send my messenger who will clear the way before me, verse 1 of chapter 3. Indeed, Yahweh The Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to the temple and the messenger of the covenant whom you long ago for is certainly coming, says Yahweh, the rulers of all. Who can endure the day of this coming? Who can keep standing when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire, like a launderer's soap. He will act like a refiner who purifies the silver and cleanses the Levites and refines them with gold and silver. Then they will offer Yahweh a proper offering, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to Yahweh in the former times of years past." says, oh, if you think that I'm okay with evil, or you think that I don't care about evil that's happening, don't worry, I'm coming, and I'm coming with judgment. And I'm going to wash your mouth out like with soap, and I'm going to cleanse all that evil out of your body and being a nation. And if when that's done, then I'm going to burn you, and the fire is going to burn all the impurities that are left. Then you will come to me. I, verse 5, will come to you in judgment. I will be quick and testify against those who practice divination, those who commit adultery, those who break promises, and those who exploit workers and widows and orphans, who refuse to help the immigrant. And in this way, show they do not fear me, says Yahweh, who rules over all. Now, he comes to the next one. Verse 6, since I, Yahweh, do not go back on my promises, meaning when I promise to do something, I always fulfill it no matter what. You sons of Jacob have, no, have not perished. The only reason you're alive is because of my character and my promises. We saw that in Hosea. From the days of your ancestors, you have ignored my commandments. You have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says Yahweh, who rules over all. But you say, how should we return? I don't know how to come back to you, God. I don't know. Maybe there's like 39 books in the Bible in the First Testament telling you how to repent and come back to God. Did you not read any of those? 
I have different answers than God. (laughs) But you say, how should we turn? Can a person rob God? You indeed are robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you? And the tithes and the contributions, you are bound for judgment because you are robbing me. This whole nation is guilty. One way that you can return to God is stop robbing me, tithe to me, sacrifice to me, repent. Bring the entire tithe into the storehouse so that they may be food in my temple. Test me in this matter, says Yahweh, who rules over all, to see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for your blessings until there is no room at all. This is the test he says. Now, you're not really allowed to test God, but in this one thing he does say this, says this, devote yourself to me and give yourself completely to me and I will bless you. Do it. This is the equivalent of Jesus saying, if you knock, it will be open. If you seek, and you will find. And anyone who comes to me, I will give them water everlasting. Test me on that. I have promised that I will bless you if you are my covenant people. So if you repent and make sacrifices, give yourself completely to me. I will bless you. Do it. Do it. And I will show you that I am true to my promises. If you doubt, then just do it. And you will no longer doubt. Then I will stop the plague, verse 11, from ruining your crops, and the vine from, will not lose the fruit before the harvest, says Yahweh who rules over all. All nations will call you happy, for indeed you will live in delightful lands, says Yahweh who rules over all. Then he goes to the next one, verse 13. You have criticized me sharply, says Yahweh, but you ask, how have we criticized you? You have said it is useless to serve God. How have we been helped by keeping the requirements of going about like mourners before Yahweh rules over? So they criticize God by saying, God doesn't help us. He doesn't make our life better. Look at us. We're miserable and oppressed. And it's like, well, because that's because you're sinning against him and you constantly shake your fist at him and tell him to go away. Verse 15, so now we consider the arrogant to be happy. Indeed, those who practice evil are successful. In fact, those who challenge God escape. Then those who respected Yahweh spoke to one another, and Yahweh took notice. A scroll was prepared before him in which they recorded the names of those who respected Yahweh and honored his name. And they will belong to me, says Yahweh, who rules over all. And the day when I prepare my own special property, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. And then once more you will see that I have made distinction between the righteous and the wicked and between the son who serves God and the one who does not. As a result, they repented and they came back. And God says, when you repent, I will forgive you. And if you don't, I will punish you. And then you will say, I do make, you will then see that I make distinctions between the righteous and the wicked. And I do treat them differently. We do the same thing when we're in trials and sufferings and we're like, where is God? Why is he taking care of us? Or maybe I need to find a really good lawyer or whatever. Not that that's all bad, but we put all of our hope and trust in other things rather than Yahweh. And in this way, we offend him. For indeed the day is coming, verse 1 of chapter 4, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and evildoers will be like chaff. The coming day will burn them up, says Yahweh who rules over all. It will not leave even a root or a branch. But for you... But for you who respect my name, the son of vindication will rise with healing wings, and you will skip about like calves released from the stall. You will trample on the wicked, for they will be like ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says Yahweh, who rules over all. So I will judge those who are evil, and I will bless you. See, I do make distinctions. In the last section, this last final two, three verses, 
This is what he says. Remember the law of my servant Moses to whom at Horeb I gave rules and regulations for all of Israel to obey. Look, I will send you Elijah, the prophet before the great and terrible day of Yahweh arise. He will encourage the fathers and their children to return to me. So I will not come and strike the earth with judgment. In Malachi chapter 3, he said, I am sending a messenger to come out and prepare the coming of my arrival. But he doesn't tell you who that messenger is. Now he identifies that messenger as Elijah. Behold, a day is coming when Elijah will return. Now, they could think that that's literal, because remember, Elijah was taken away. Now, he was taken away in judgment, but who knows where his body went? Did he die, or did he get flung to the far side of the earth, or something? We don't know, but he was taken away in judgment. But that did not disqualify the, or dis, um, discredit the fact that he was still an incredibly righteous man overall. So now Yahweh says Elijah will come back. Now they might think, oh wow, literal Elijah is going to come back. But Jesus says in Matthew chapter 3 verse 4 that John the baptizer was the coming of Elijah. And what he meant was that Malachi wasn't saying Elijah, literally that person is going to come to prepare the way of the coming of God. But that one would come in the same spirit and ministry and actions that Elijah was, he will be a man who will call them to radical repentance. Radical repentance. Just like Elijah did. And he'll be rough around the edges, just like Elijah was. And so this is what God is calling, saying. And of course, this is the prophecy that they look forward to. And even today at Passover meals, Jews still leave one chair empty at every Passover meal because perhaps Elijah will come through the door and sit down with them. They're looking forward to that day, yet it's already come. So that is the book of Malachi. That's the last book. And that's the end of the prophets. And once again, their themes are very similar to the pre-exilic prophets. So in conclusion, one would think that after being devastated by the Assyrians and the Babylonians and being taken to exile, that the Israelites would actually become more faithful. You'd think once you got beaten down in a harsh judgment, that you would no longer be disobedient again. Yet, after this, Yahweh had brought them back to the promised land and began to bless them, the people returned back to their familiar rebellious ways. No matter how many times Israel repented, they always went back to their sinful ways. Yahweh sent his prophets to warn them, and he would judge them again if they did not repent of their sins. This showed that it was tr- Israel truly needed was a changed heart. The fact that nothing changes shows that what they truly needed was a changed heart. As the pre-exilic prophets had stated, in harmony with the pre-exilic prophets, the post-exilic prophets, Yahweh, through the post-exilic prophets, Yahweh promised that he would establish a new Jerusalem where he would pour out a spear on his covenant people and dwell with them after he had defeated their enemies. Even so, although the physical exile was over, their spiritual exile would not be truly over until they repented and became faithful to Yahweh. This is the message that the Bible finally ends on. Nothing has changed with Israel, for all has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so as a result, the only thing that would bring this new Jerusalem is their faithfulness. Not judgment, not blessings, that hasn't worked, but their faithfulness.